www.blogtalkradio.com. Blog Talk Radio. This is Colin from Can I Justify. You're rocking Attitude Era Live with Icon, Granny Hawkster, and Big Swim. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you are hearing that sound, you know what time it is. It is Monday night. It is Attitude Era Live time, live on 89.1 Ken's FM, and we have got a blockbuster show. We're going to get right to it. First off, we have Granny Hulkster on the line. How are you? I'm doing well, Icon. Ready for another awesome show here on 89.1 Ken's FM. And ladies and gentlemen, I also give you the late Eric Mathias. How are you, sir? Well, now you gave away my shoot name. Thank you, buddy. Yes, uh, the modern Emir Mathias uh, just about missed his uh, call time to the studio. I got here a couple minutes ago just in time. Chipotle was making me wait for my delicious burrito, so now I was almost late, but here I am, and I am uh, on time, ready to do another good show on 89.1 Ken's FM. And one thing about Matthias, though, you can never, ever call him, uh, you'll never, ever see him late to the ring, never. or you'll never see him late to dinner. But anyway. <laughs> nope, you're not wrong there. So we, we have a big Very show uh, tonight, so so we're going we're gonna to go ahead and introduce everybody. we got uh, Diana Franklin. Uh, of course, she starred in the movie The Last American Virgin and uh, uh, Better Off Dead. Uh, she was also in How I, got, uh, How I Got to College, and she was also in Bill and Ted's uh, excellent adventure. Uh, we're going to talk to her. We have Ray Scott, who used to play for the uh, the uh, uh, well, he used to play for the Detroit Pistons, the Baltimore Bullets, uh, and uh, he was a coach of the Detroit Pistons. He's got a new uh, story out. He's going to tell us. And returning uh, back to us, we have uh, uh, Carla uh, Albrich. And uh, she's got a new CD out, and we're going to talk to her about some of the great songs on here, uh, some that we can't really mention that we have to edit. But uh, I can't wait to talk to her about that. Uh, she'll be making her third appearance on our show. She loves us. She loves Granny. I don't, I don't think uh, she's met Matthias yet, but I'm sure she'll love you too because she's a good guy on the show because she saw your picture. But anyway, and uh, we also... There's also a rumor that we might have uh, we might have the uh, the the swinger himself uh, the big swing on, but uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Uh, the Yankees played this afternoon, so and they beat our our fa- our favorite team, the Minnesota Twins. So uh, he might be on, he might not. We'll see. But the lines are always open for him. Uh, and anyway, how's everybody doing, Granny? What's new with you? How are you doing this week? I'm doing good. It's been a crazy week, you know. Uh, wrestling coming up um, September 24th for WFC again. And, of course, the godmother of wrestling is always ready for a good wrestling event. My husband and my son and I and a good friend of ours, my son bought the tickets. We actually went to our local movie theater and watched the AEW pay-per-view all out last night at the movie theater. It was pretty awesome. Lots of great matches. Touchdown Raiders! Wait, you did not need to do that. I know it's getting close to football season, but you know how I feel about those nasty, ugly Raiders. 
Right. Uh, I need the writers. And, uh, well, we'll, we'll uh, toward, uh, towards the middle of the show there, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the AEW pay-per-view. And uh, uh, how about Matthias? What's new with you? I know that you got a couple of events coming up, and uh, I will say – did you see that uh, Attitude Air Live and 89.1 Kens FM has endorsed you in your upcoming match uh, next uh, this coming Saturday, I believe it is, right? Uh, actually, that'll be the 17th, the one that you guys uh, posted about. Uh, that is when I take on the Mean Marine Mason Mayhem at this one's for the vents presented by uh, this one's for the vets presented by BZW. Uh, my next up and coming shows, as you mentioned, uh, I will be in Fergus Falls for Below Zero Wrestling Rumble on the River Two. Uh, in Fergus Falls, September 10th, and then the 15th and 16th, I will be going out to a new promotion, uh, Strike Force Pro Wrestling, out of mine, North Dakota, for the 15th and 16th. And then after that, I will be again in BZW in Moorhead, Minnesota, for this one's for the vets. Uh, we'll have Eric Bischoff there at that show, and we'll have Ken Anderson uh, at the 10th show, so that'll be fun. Um, and then I actually just got another booking. Uh, out in Butte, Montana, uh, October 1st, that I was just in uh, cahoots with the promoter. So we're talking about going up there. And then we kind of started finalizing. Oh, my uh, God. Who the hell cares? (laughs) I was waiting for it. The one time he doesn't get to talk about himself, he decides to annoy everybody else. But anyway... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> December 17th will be my big show coming up. I defend my APW World Heavyweight Championship against who I do not know, but we'll come to find out there later on in the future. But, yeah, uh, one big thing was I actually got myself a little present. Uh, just yesterday I picked up the Xbox One Series X. I decided it was time to upgrade. So now I have a brand-new Xbox. Where did you get that at? At Target, as a matter of fact. Really? They have them at Target now? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, currently Best Buy... And Walmart have the Xbox Series S, the digital-only uh, versions, for $300. And then if you want to go to BestBuy.com, you could purchase an Xbox One Series X, one terabyte system, but you'd have to wait a week for them to get to the store. Then you could purchase one. Well, I decided, well, you know, I'll go on Target.com and just randomly see if they had one. Well, they said they had them in stock, but if you look in the cabinet, there's none, but they have them in back. So I ended up uh, getting me a one terabyte Xbox One Series X just yesterday. Well, you know, uh, the icon uh, and his wife are now the proud owners. As long as we're talking games real quick, you don't want to uh, bore anybody. But uh, we um, we are now the proud owners of a PS5. Uh, and uh, Yeah. Uh, I have one in uh, sitting on my entertainment center. We've been watching 4K movies. And I'll tell you what, man, uh, you can play any PS4 game on this thing. Uh, there's, uh, I haven't tried any PS3 games or uh, PS2 games or anything like that. I don't think you can use those, but I believe you can download them. On the PS Store, yeah. Right, right. Uh, you know, and we got the one with the drive, like you, just like you said. Uh, we didn't want a downloading thing. We want to be able to... Uh, Play the old discs? Yeah, play the old discs and play uh, movies and stuff on it, you know? Yeah. So, it, oh, man, it, that's awesome, though, because those PS5s are so hard to come by. You can never, you can't find them anywhere. So, I mean, uh, you must have been waiting for months for that thing. Well, you know, I I, I can get I can give a little secret here. Uh, I used to work for a local company here in Fargo that has, uh, and I cannot name them, but they, they uh, have an online presence. And uh, they're named after a jungle, uh, a jungle, and uh, they got a shipment of 100 of them. 
and uh, yeah. So you got your so you got your hands on one. I did. Well, um, if, you, if you you know your co-host here, he's always looking to get upgrade some more. So if you want to talk and get into hoots and get me one, I'll I'll gladly pay you back for one of them. Well, unfortunately, you know I don't work at the jungle anymore, but uh, uh, I, I I still have some friends there that might be able to. Uh, well, uh, let's talk. Up. But uh, uh, well, I'll tell you what. Here's what we're gonna do. We need to take a quick little commercial break. Uh, hear from one of our great sponsors, and then we'll be back with the interview I've been waiting for all my life. Uh, we'll be back here shortly after these messages from one of our sponsors. Give us a little bit, and we'll be right back. The new Woodspring Suites of Fargo, located at 1090 35th Street North at the I-29 and 12th Avenue North Interchange, is an extended-stay pet-friendly hotel with kitchenettes in every room, including a stovetop, full-size fridge, and microwave plus a big 40-inch flat-screen TV with free Wi-Fi. You can book a room at 701-582-1600 or online at www.woodspring.com. Woodspring Streets of Fargo, rated 4.2 by TrustScore. All right, let's get into this. Ladies and gentlemen, stepping out of the green room and walking down the aisle. She's going to tell us how she got into college, being the last American version, and she's going to tell us how she was better off dead than being with Bill and Ted on their excellent adventure. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the gal of the 80s, the most beautiful woman in the history of 80s cinema. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Diane Franklin. Hey, this is Diane Franklin, and you are listening to Attitude Error Monday Live Monday on 89.1 Ken's FM with your host, the icon, the big swing, the mother of wrestling granny hulkster, and the modern nightmare, Matthias. <laughs> All right. How are you, Diana? Good to have you. Thank you for having me here on the show. I'm so excited. This is so much fun. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, we have Diana Franklin here, and uh, the, the good news is uh, we have uh, 35 minutes here on 89.1 Ken's FM, but here's what we're going to do here. Uh, we're going to give you a little background about yourself, Now I'm going to ask you some sure. questions, and we'll do a roundtable, and then we'll come back to me, I'll ask you the tougher questions. So uh, go ahead, give us a little background. All right. Um, my background is um, yes. I have been, I've been an actress um since I was actually started acting when I was 10 years old. Um, uh, I, I mean, professionally, you know, I did commercials, I did modeling, theater, soap opera, you know, I did those plays in schools, but I also, um, I always wanted to be an actress ever since I literally knew when I was four years old that that was what I wanted to do. And um, when I did, um, when I did like commercials, you know, you can now, which is really fun, with the um, internet, you know, you can look up like Reese's peanut butter commercials and Diane Franklin and the, you know, a tried and sugarless mint. So it's really fun to see my career start so young, you know. Um, uh, and then when I, uh, basically when I turned 18, um, I got my first, well, actually 17, I did a soap opera called As the World Turns. And that was on there for like a half year. And then after that, I got my first film at 19. And that was a film called The Last American Virgin. Um, and I did that film. I did um, a movie called Amityville 2, The Possession. I was in um, a movie called Better Off Dead, uh, where I played a French girl. I was in a film called Terror Vision, uh, where I play like an 80s punk rocker. Um, I was also in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. And um, yeah. I started acting, and you know, I was at a young age, and I still act today. I'm actually in 
in a few movies right now. I'm in a Ted Bundy movie. I'm in an Amityville Murders movie. I'm in a movie called High Holiday on Peacock. So there you go. That's my basic background. I'm all over the place. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. A, a couple things I want to ask you about, uh, and then we'll do a roundtable. But uh, sure. uh, the first thing I want to uh, uh, talk about is we'll, we'll, we'll talk about uh, my favorite role towards the end here when I come back and do the tougher question. But I want to f- first talk about uh, Better Off Dead. You played a foreign uh, a French exchange student. Uh, would you be yep. willing to uh, do our names with that accent? Oh, what do you mean, like Scott? I can talk yeah. Scott and he talks like this. <laughs> uh, but who is the other person? I do not. I only know Scott. I do not know the other name. Oh, you mean all the other people that I mentioned? Like, right, uh, right. Like Holster. All right, I will say it again. The icon, Big Swing, the mother of wrestling, Granny Holster, and the modern nightmare, Matei. <laughs> I, 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 I love that. And, uh, you know, you got to uh, some of the uh, – I'm just kind of curious. What was it like being uh, uh, in the one scene when you got to stand uh, next to Booger from uh, Revenge of the Nerds? Oh, my gosh. So, first of all, uh, the actor who played um, – uh, well, Booger was, like, from, I guess, um, uh, Revenge, Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah, he, um, this was Charles DeMar who played the character, uh, who, the character Charles DeMar. Um, his name is Curtis Armstrong. He was hilarious. We had a great time working together. Um, he is, um, he's just, a like, a fun, smart guy, and, uh, he made me crack up on stage. I'm, I'm like, you know, on the set. I mean, I laughed so hard with him. Um, especially when we did that scene where, you know, he's snorting the jello. That was not written into the script, so he <laughs> improvised that. It was hilarious. And if you watch that scene from Better Off Dead, if you're not familiar, uh, but look for the French girl. I'm the French girl. Um, when you see that scene, you will see me, like, my lip is, like, quivering. I'm trying not to laugh, and it is probably one of the hardest scenes I ever did uh, in, in that film. And uh, another uh, another uh, person you got to star with, uh, uh, you live with Ricky Sneet, and uh, he of course played Dennis Blunden on uh, Head of the Class. Now, of course, he never really he didn't talk in that movie at all, but I, I understand that he's very talkative. But he's also a very big prankster, is he not? Um, you know, I now here's the thing. Interesting. During Better Off Dead, I that was like before he did head you know Head of the Class, I guess. So to me, I didn't know that he was a prankster. He was just hilarious. Like, he was just a funny guy. And we had so much fun. And, you know, all those characters we played were so, I, I just got to say, like, they were so, everyone was so new, uh, unique. No one was playing something that they had seen before. Everyone created their own character. I mean, you've never seen a character like Monique before. Never like Ricky Smith. Never like Mrs. Smith. Um, you know, I think everybody was so unique in, in what their characters were. And I'm just so glad that people are still talking about it now and they remember. You guys, this is like a, like huge. Um, it's just wonderful to be uh, remembered from that film. I love the film Better Off Dead. You know, and, you know, the, uh, you know, the other thing is, you know, you also, uh, you know, got to uh, uh, be with another one of uh, our heroes here. Uh, of course, uh, um <clears throat> He played uh, Lane Meyer, and you know who I'm referring to, of course. Our favorite role of his will always be his role in Con Air. Oh, yes, yes. Um, And Lane, 
I have to say, uh, first of all, the actor who played Lane, I loved working with him. And Lane was so sweet and so romantic. And we had I, such a nice chemistry, I thought, on screen. And on off screen, we had a great time. Such a nice guy. Uh, so sweet. And I, and I think he was like, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, just maybe 17 or I don't, I don't know if he was even 18 when we did the film, but he was so sweet. And um, I just was really fortunate to work with him. I even ran into him at a convention recently, um, not this recently, but like maybe a year, a year ago or two years ago before the, uh, the pandemic hit. And um, we had the, a great time. I mean, we just had a blast. I even said to him, we should do another movie together. Because I uh, think the chemistry yeah. was so good. Uh, uh, better off too. Uh, <laughs> better off dead too. Uh, you guys have kids, and uh, uh, you know you guys host a foreign exchange. I mean that'd be awesome. And if that movie happens, I want my residuals. Uh, Diana Franklin yeah. is our guest. Eighty-nine point one Ken's FM. We got uh, uh, twenty-eight minutes here. Uh, we're going to do a roundtable, then we'll uh, come back and. Uh, um, um, I'm going to ask you the tougher questions, and I'm sure Matthias will fill in with a few others, but. Uh, now, uh, right. we'll start with Matthias, and we'll go to Granny Hulkster. Now, Matthias, I know that you are a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Mark. So what do you have for our guest, Diana Franklin? Go ahead. Well, first off, I want to welcome you onto the show. Yes, you are talking to the man from every woman's greatest dream and every man's worst nightmare, North Dakota's number one heel, current EWI what? Diamond and ATP World Heavyweight Champion, Matthias here. Welcome onto our show. And, and he is currently the last American virgin. No. Oh, well, I, I guess. <laughs> okay, go ahead. We'll we'll go. We'll we'll talk about that later on uh, outside of the show. But anyway, <laughs> um, I guess one of my questions to you would be, compared to being on like commercials or soap operas or film. What would you say was one of your more challenging uh, projects, whether it was like on TV, a commercial, a film role? What was your more challenge? What was one of your more challenging things you ever had to take on? And you can't say the show because that'd be too easy. Oh uh, darn it! Uh, no, you know, gosh, um, there were so many different things that were challenging. I mean, interestingly enough, some of the jobs that I didn't get perhaps were the most challenging because. Um, you know, auditioning, oh, my gosh. It's like, you know, you you get uh, audition, then you have a callback, then you have a third callback. So, I mean, I'm going to say just being an actress is probably the hardest thing I've ever done uh, in, in the big picture because, you know, I mean, I auditioned for so many films and got so close on so many. A Karate Kid. Uh, um, I was uh, got a callback on Flashdance. Um, I was um, it, uh, uh, up for... Um, I got callbacks on Bachelor Party. Um, I don't know. There were a lot of movies. That just And Amadeus, very close to that film. But, I mean, I would have to say, if you had to ask me, or even, honestly, auditioning for Bill and Ted 2, my own part, that was challenging. So, yeah, no, um, I think the auditioning is the hardest uh, thing of all the, the things I've ever had to do. Sticking in there. Those movies that uh, that you didn't make, just think, if you would have been in them, they probably would have been Oscar performances. Just think about that. Oh, thank you. You're a sweetheart. Um, you know, all these people, I always think, whoever gets the part, you know, it's, it's the journey that they took. And, and for me, like, again, if I didn't, uh, if I didn't get the jobs I didn't, you know, I get, I would never have 
Um, I would never have done even better off dead and Bill and Ted's, you know, like I love those films. So I'm really happy about how things worked out. But um, yeah, no, you just never know. As an actor, your life is sort of like however the director or writer sees you, whoever cast, you know. Uh, we have uh, Diana Franklin as our guest here on 89.1 Kansas FM. we got uh, 25 minutes. Now, Granny, I know that uh, you used to, uh, like, uh, watch a lot of films in the 80s. What do you have for our guest? Go ahead. Because she was born before the 80s. <laughs> well, that, Go ahead, that is true. I was before the 80s. And welcome to our show, I'm, where it's a pleasure to have you on. But I tell you, you, I was a big, I was a big fan of as the world turns, I mean, I still watch a couple of soap operas on CBS, you know, like Young and the Restless and Bold and Beautiful, but I mm-hmm. watch world turns and, you know, Guiding Light on the CBS soap operas for years, but I was a very avid fan of As the World Turns for many, many, many years. I mean, you know, oh, I, she used to record you on beta. I, oh, Beta. Oh, my gosh. That's a long time ago. Wow. Players. I remember Beta. <laughs> no, but, but to be, hey, I I just turned, I, I had my birth, my 60th birthday last week. I just turned 60 last week. So in 1979, I would have been like a junior in high school because I graduated high school in 1980. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I mean, let me tell you something. You would have known me. I was... I was, you know, do you, I don't know if you remember the character Betsy. I was her oh, yeah. friend. I, I played a friend of Betsy's, and I was supposed to be like the, yep. the bad friend who got, made her have parties, and uh, I hid mm-hmm. my birth control pills in my shoes. My character was Lois Middleton. And um, they changed that character, Betsy. You know, it went from one actress to, you know, I think eventually, um, gosh, the girl from, um, there was a famous 80s actress who actually also played Betsy. I can't remember her name right now. But anyway, you probably saw me. Isn't that funny? Oh, yeah. Wow. I did. I did. What was the most, I mean, interesting thing about working with such a talented cast of As the World Turns? Because I know they had a lot of great actors and actresses on that story for many years. I mean. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, Kim, was it? Kim, the character, the woman who played Kim Richards, or the, the main woman, and I forgot her name right now. She recently passed. She's an excellent actress. She played the mom. She was mm-hmm. a pro. This woman was an amazing dark-haired actress. Um, uh, and I'm so sorry because I, it's been so long to remember the name, but she was such a pro. Yeah. And, boy, let me tell you, when you do a soap opera, you better know your lines because you get, like, maybe two takes. Maybe. I mean, usually it's one take and they move on. So that was excellent training uh, as an actor to do. But also the girl who played Betsy, which was very funny, she was a regular on the show. And that girl, um, she was very um, grown up. Okay, and I was like this innocent girl. I had no, I like, I didn't do drugs. I wasn't really dating anyone. I was like, I was so innocent. And when I got on the show, I had to play this really like the girl who'd like been through everything. And she was the one who had all this experience experience she had an older boyfriend she was like so it was so funny when I we worked together because um I was sitting in the situation where I was like uh, you know I, I think you know we did a scene and that she wasn't she was definitely like you know not quite all there and I was like you know don't you have to ask me something Betsy and like you know it was just kind of like I had to like 
I was actually like learning from her because I didn't, you know, know a lot of things. So anyway, very interesting. You know, a lot of, you know, actors are not who they play, you know, so it was very interesting to be on the show. But boy, she was talented. She knew her lines and she was a pro. And I was always, um, I admired her. I thought it was amazing that she could, you know, she was on the show for so long. Uh, Diana Franklin's our guest here on 89.1 Ken's FM. Uh, uh, unfortunately, we only got uh, 21 minutes left. I wish it were uh, uh, 20 more years, but uh, uh, here's the thing: uh, if if our if our one guest is late, would you? I know we I know I said I only booked it for 30 minutes, but would you be willing to stay longer if uh, our our next guest is late? Sure, I can hang. I can hang. And 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 I'm so excited, North Dakota. I've never. Uh, I don't know if anyone uh, you know knows. I mean, I've never done a convention there i would love to come there to do a convention i'd love to meet i am going to make that happen i'm going to get that that would be wonderful so uh and everybody she did give me her phone number so i can call her at any time as long as it's not two in the morning that's true that's true (laughs) don't do that Uh, i actually live in arkansas i actually live in arkansas whoa and i've never been to arkansas i've and I've been a lot of places, you know, I do conventions and I go to different places all over the country and I do, um, I do interviews and uh, I'm also doing, you know, still acting. So, you know, I get flown to places to shoot. Um, in fact, I'm going actually to England in November to shoot a, a, a short film. Wow. So, yeah, traveling. And if we if we can get you here, I can get you we can get you a good room at uh, Woodspring Suites of Fargo, uh, one of our big sponsors here. So now I want to talk a little. Uh, and you got you got a book coming out, so we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But uh, I want to talk a, a little bit about my favorite film of yours, uh, which helped me get through uh, my young adulthood, The Last American Virgin. And I'm just kind of curious, yeah. when you got the role, uh, did you know that uh, there was you obviously knew because of the title, but but do you, do you know about uh, the uh, uh, being uh, without apparel uh, in some scenes that you had to do? Were you aware of that, or did you not know that your oh. character would have to do that? Oh, oh no! Uh, when you're an actor, you everything has to be told to you ahead of time. Yes, um, I knew that I had to do some scenes where um, I wasn't going to be wearing anything, and certainly wasn't something I had ever done before. That was the first film. Um, and I did that film. Um, what happened was I got the script, um, and I really had to think about it because I didn't know, you know, that's kind of, it's a big deal, you know, and I was young. And so even though I'd worked for years and years, I had to really, you know, I asked my parents and my family, like, you know, how do you feel about it? Because obviously when you do something like that, you're influencing the people around you. And, you know, you want to be um, considerate, I guess. It depends on what people are, you know, how people around you feel too. I mean, at least for me, you know, I mean, other people, maybe that doesn't matter, but I wanted, you know, I, I knew that if I did something like that, it would be affecting my family. But at the same time, I had a European family and if they were more like rather me not have like, you know, violence and guns and like being in that situation, they'd rather, they were like totally fine. And also my parents were a lot older. So, um, they, you know, they lived their life and they were kind of like, you know, now you live yours, do what you want. And so I was, um, the most important thing when I got that script was that the part wasn't just about, you know, uh, the nudity. The part was, a, the, the show was um, more about there was a story and that my character was uh, had depth. And I feel like that, you know, you can't get away watching that movie without, you know, seeing that, 
there was more to my character than meets the eye. So, you know, I think everyone was very taken, you know, if you've ever seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about, that end, uh, the ending of the film. In fact, we thought it was going to be changed. We thought, oh, you're going to change the the story. You're not going to end it like this. This is an American film. And the director said, no, you know, this was based on my true life. It was a true story. So, you know, we tried to make it as real and true. And I think the film is still, uh, you know, still holds because it's, it's a, it's a time capsule of the 80s. Last American Virgin, you know, talks about uh, it has 80s subject matter. It's got, um, you know, uh, music, great soundtrack, incredible, um, you know, style. You know, you go back and you feel the 80s, and it's really real. I think a lot of guys can relate to it. So, and, and women, uh, I think, you know, you can check it, it out. It was just released on Blu-ray as well. Uh, but the only thing I'm curious, though, uh, do you regret, though, that uh, – uh, you decided to uh, continue your relationship with the jerk from Goonies? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? If it was me, I would have picked uh, Gary. And, you know, so I remember saying that the whole time. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like if it was just me. Um, but as my character, I'm going to say to the audience, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. And I'm sorry, Gary. I made a mistake. I should have, I should have gone with the good guy. But, uh, you know. I just was, you know, the other guy was a little bit too, um, he, he wooed me, you know. And that's, I think, the, the thing, you know. Girls are, um, some girls don't have a sense of who they are. They don't have a center. And then they kind of go with whoever says, I like you, and whoever's the one. I mean, I always think, like, why didn't Gary fight for me? Why didn't, you know, he go after me? Could have made me feel more wanted. I don't know. So that ending makes everybody think a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, Who well, I know, I know, I would have, uh, I, I know, I would have, uh, I would have went after you, uh, but I, as a matter of fact, I, 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 I actually fell more in love with the character from uh, Better Off Dead. I, I always wanted to date a, um, a gal uh, that was from another country. Well, actually, I did for a while because the cheerleaders yeah. would never talk. Not that you care, but the cheerleaders would never talk to me. I mean, you know, the girls from the Spanish club were fine, but you know, I always wanted right. to date a cheerleader, and now I have one. Uh, now I'm married to one. But anyway, uh, we have uh, Diana Franklin as our we have our Diana Franklin as our guest here on 89.1 Kens FM, and we have about 15 minutes. Now we're going to talk a little bit about. Uh, then we'll come back and uh, ask you about a few more of your films. But the the main thing that we want to talk about is that you have a book uh, that uh, is uh, that you that you wrote. Uh, and I believe it's called uh, Diana, Diana Franklin, The Excellent Ventures of the Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s. And uh, uh, let's talk about the book. Uh, tell us uh, what, uh, what, what's involved, uh, when, why you decided to write it. Uh, uh, is there any pictures? Is it a pop-up book so guys like me can understand it? Uh, let's talk about it. <laughs> All right. So here's the cool thing. All right. I have actually three books and they if you look up diane franklin books you will see these three books the first one is the excellent adventures the long title with excellent adventures um and the reason why i wrote the long title is because it you've got to laugh you got to put a smile on your face when you say it it's way too long um and so uh it gives you a setup that the book is light and fun as tons of pictures and the excellent adventures is for somebody who has no idea who i am who would like to um See what the 80s are like. What? How did an actress get from like the suburbs to being a movie star? How did this happen? So if you're an actor or you're curious, like how does what my career was like? This shows everything. Okay, from the 
from my in my whole life. It also also uh, has little snippets of of my daughter because she is a filmmaker too, and she's like on TikTok and and all that stuff now. So you get the like you know in 2012 where she was at. Um, and then my second book is called The Excellent Curls. The, sec- ex- the Excellent Curls used to be like this sultry look and big curly hair. And that is for fans of The Last American Virgin. If you love that movie, this book, The Excellent Curls, curly hair, curls, you must get. Yeah, it is. It has photos you will never see anywhere. It has uh, subject matter, and I talk about things deeply, and it's just, I'm telling you, you will be so happy you got it. It's it's one of those things like you'll it'll take you back in time and you'll you'll hear how my my life and then there's tons of pictures there's also better off dead pictures in that as well but for those who like Last American Virgin get the excellent curls and my new book that I just came out with this year is the excellent comedy of the Last American Virgin stage save of the eighties and that one is all about better off dead and boy it's the special features that you wish had happened in the 80s. I mean, now it's finally coming out, and it's huge. Um, This book is, I have had nothing but positive response from it. And Savage Steve Holland, who wrote and directed the movie, he he gave me all these behind-the-scenes things that I didn't even know. And I I interviewed Curtis, um, who was um, uh, Charles DeMar. I interviewed um, Beth. I interviewed... um, the paper boy. Uh, it's got so oh, many that little jerk. great yeah. interviews. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, so, you know, yeah, also, no. um, uh, Matthias, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but Matthias, uh, you know, yeah. uh, in the movie, uh, have you seen Better Off Dead, Matthias? Have you seen that? Uh, it, <clears throat> excuse me. It might have been once, but I am not too familiar with it right now. It was way back when, you when I saw it. You've got to check it now, out. Highly recommend if you know, If you know, in the movie, she helped uh, uh, repair... Uh, a, a car that you would love to have uh, drive you to the ring. She she helped repair a Camaro in that movie. Well, as long as she's in oh, the yeah. Camaro, then I'm okay with that. Oh, oh yeah, nice. I like it. Yeah, it's great. Now, now I got to ask you a couple a uh, couple other things about behind the scenes of uh, Better Off Dead. As long as we're talking, uh, now the wh- when you fix up when you help them fix up the Camaro. And uh, yep. he, uh, he was, you guys were helping him change the oil, and he got the oil all over. That was chocolate, or what was that? Yeah, it was Hershey's syrup, which, by the way, made me break out in, like, hysterical laughter, like crying laughter, because I didn't know what had happened. And I knew, I mean, I, we all knew that it wasn't, you know, obviously real oil, but they put it through a funnel, and it hit, uh, it hit Lane in the face, and, oh, my gosh, like, cry laughter, like, that was such a great scene, that whole that whole scene together, because um, it just it was just such a sweet thing that my you know my character Monique, she is very good, very capable of, of fixing a car and uh, skiing down the K twelve. She's not afraid, you know. She's kind of like you do this and you will be fine, you know. Just go after it, be brave. You can do it, you know. So uh, it, she's a really great role model for girls, I think. I mean, you tell me, uh, uh, Scott, if you thought it was good. If you like, well, I don't character. know. I don't know who. I don't, well, I'm the icon. I don't know who the Scott guy is, but anyway, oh, uh, you know, sorry, I'm right. just, icon here, dear icon. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, I'm going to ask you. I, I don't want to spend too much time on, on on the movie, but I just have a few other behind the scenes questions. Uh, the next question I want to ask you about is uh, the skiing. Uh, was that uh, was that a stunt double? Was that you really skiing, and uh, was that a real slope? I was. 
skiing in all the shots that were kind of coming into the scene or away because I do ski. Um, but I did not do the uh, fancy skiing down the trick skiing. Um, mostly that's because, um, I mean, first of all, I don't ski as well as those skiers. But the other part is that they don't usually like uh, actors, the lead actors, to do their own stunts because if they hurt themselves, they're out. And I actually, uh, that actually happened in Amadeus. The lead uh, actress, Meg Tilly, broke her leg when she was, um, filming Amadeus, and they had to replace her, and that's why I got the opportunity to, it was between me and Elizabeth Barrett, uh, you know, the other girl for the part. So all I can say is you don't know, um, you know, a situation, but, yeah, that it, wasn't, it couldn't have been me because of the legal ramifications. You couldn't do it. And for our fans, uh, our regular fans that are listening, uh, as, as you know, if you go to our uh, – Facebook page, Added to Air, Monday Live Monday. You like that. Uh, you go to Ken's FM 89.1 page. You like that. Uh, do a $10 a month donation power shower. You automatically get qualified uh, to win an autographed picture or uh, autographed memorabilia from our current guests, past guests, or future guests. Now, uh, would you be willing to send us a few autographs for giveaways, maybe a couple books, I don't know, an autographed picture to me because, uh, you know, uh, I love you because so you much. Have the of course. Yeah, you are yeah. my icon. You are the icon. <laughs> I like this. Well, well, you're an icon too when you think about it. Well, from icon to icon, I'll take it. That would be lovely. <laughs> yes, of course, I will send you uh, photos and um, yes, yeah, some and a book to like be able to, um, you know, maybe there will be uh, people who are interested in uh, having the book. That would be wonderful. Awesome. And then um, I guess my next question is, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll go back to the book, but. Uh, the one scene in there uh, at the beginning uh, uh, when Lane opened his closet and he had all those hangers with all the best pictures on there, uh, did you get to yeah. keep one of those hangers or did uh, the actor said whose pictures were on there, did she take them all? Oh, I wish that, you know, you just asked a beautiful question because um, the actress who played Beth was so sad. She actually was uh, sick for a day. And after they shot that scene, she, she wanted to come back and get the hangers. And the next day, gone. I don't know who has them. They're somewhere in the universe. Someone's got them. Um, but nobody from that we knew uh, got it. So someone out, someone out there, please, if you've got them, send at least one to Beth because she really, um, she really needs it. <laughs> she really, really wanted it. So. Yeah. Uh, Diane Franklin's no, our guest it. here on 89.1 Kins FM, and uh, we got about the seven minutes here, so we can do this here real quick. If our fans want to check out and see you, you got a Facebook, an Instagram, a YouTube, a Twitter, a Twitch, a TikTok. What do you got? Okay, I've got uh, actress Diane Franklin on Instagram. So Instagram, actress Diane Franklin. Twitter is Diane Franklin 80, 80, no F. And Facebook, go to Diane Franklin official fan page uh, because my gen- if you look up Diane Franklin Facebook I have like I'm I kid you not like 3,000 people on a list for me who want to be on my Facebook because it's full so um, and I so I'll I the group page which is the official fan page I submit things as well um, but I have someone else who takes care of that with me so um, yes yeah, so I please you know Stay connected because I – oh, and you know what? Actually, I'm also on TikTok, but I haven't I, – that's it's, I think it's the real Diane Franklin on TikTok. I just started that, and uh, I have a secret. I'm going to actually be coming out with a music video. 
So if you contact me, stay connected with me, um, you'll be the first to know about it. So that's very fun. And uh, I guess my, my, my next question is, uh, uh, you know, like I say, unfortunately, we only got a, a few minutes here. Uh, you know, if we haven't scared you away too much, uh, maybe you'd be willing to join us again at some point. But uh, what um, when you decided to write all these uh, different books, uh, uh, how long did it take you uh, did it, uh, after you uh, wrote your first one? What, were the next several easier or uh, the, the more that you wrote, the harder it became? When I first, uh, when I wrote my first book, first of all, I didn't even think that, like, I didn't know anyone would even remember me. So my first book actually was a hardcover. I only made 100 copies of them, and I actually handmade them, and I thought, okay, if people, if I get sold out on these, then I'll publish. So when I first did the books, I brought them to conventions, and they sold out. So, and they were beautiful. They were color. They're really, like, collector's items. So I thought, okay, I'll write the book. And I, I really wrote it for people who I thought, okay, if you don't know about my career and you, you want to know how to – how does somebody go from knowing no one, there's no connection, to becoming famous? How does this happen? Hard work, you know, uh, the focus, um, sacrifices. So I, I wrote this book, and when I was done with it, I thought, well, I'm done. I've, I've done it and no more. But then a couple of years went by, and I realized I had – a lot more to say, and it had to do with Last American Virgin. So I thought, oh, wow, I really got to write a book about this because it was just more, you know, just it was, I just had more information that I wanted to share with people. And then when that was done, I thought, okay, well, I'm done now. And, and, but I ran into a fan at a convention, and he said to me, um, I, I bring my, uh, I have a coat from the film from Better Off Dead, and that coat is the original coat I wore as Monique. And so I uh, thought, uh, I had a fan who said, you know, you should, I take pic, you know, I always took pictures with, with people wearing the coat. He said, you should have a book and you should put all the pictures of people wearing the coat in your book. And I went, oh my gosh, now I have to write the book. And then I put the word out to all the people on the film who were involved and said, you, would you like to contribute? So the book is a labor of love. It took me like two years to write this last one. Um, seriously, like it usually takes me a couple of years and, uh, Wow, it's great. So um, it wasn't the intention of writing it. It's just I do have more to say, and that's how these books happen. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, and it's a labor of love. This is all it is. So what you see is, is me. You're going to get to know me. So hopefully, you know, when you uh, write your, your fourth book, uh, you'll let me write the forward for you, and uh, you can have a chapter on uh, how to uh, hang up on a guy from Fargo, North Dakota. That would be cool. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Diana Franklin's our guest here. We got about uh, three minutes here left with with uh, Diana Franklin. But uh, you know the you know the cool thing is here, uh, Diana, that uh, uh, you know being in all the different films and you know Jello commercials and Coca Cola commercials and coffee commercials. Uh, is there is there one product that you always wanted to endorse that you never got to? That is perhaps one of the coolest questions I've ever gotten. Uh, a boy, I never thought about that. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I love chocolate, and um, I'm a, I would love to do chocolate. I would love to do coffee, and I would love to do, I guess, makeup. Always makeup is pretty, you know, so that's a fun thing to do. Um, or wrinkle cream. <laughs> That, you know, whatever, that'll come up. But, um, yeah, no, I would have to say um, my favorite is dark chocolate. So I'll, I'll say dark chocolate. 
to start. <laughs> and then uh, real quick here, um, uh, you uh, – uh, we 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 only got a we only got a, a few seconds or so, but uh, you got a uh, I know you got a, you got another movie coming out, uh, Clay Zombies. Uh, have you started filming that, or is that uh, just in the developmental stages right now? Oh, so that film actually is now available on Amazon. That's done. Um, I have, uh, and by the way, yeah, let's talk about. I just do have some movies that people they want to check out my acting now. Uh, Amityville Murders. That is, I think, you can get it on YouTube. I think, and um, you'll see me in the trailer. Um, and I talk like this, so don't be confused. I'm, I'm, I'm a woman from Long Island. It was based on a true story um, about what happened in Amityville. And I also am in Ted Bundy, America. Oh, I'm in Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman. I have a scene in it, but my daughter is in the film, and she uh, is the one who fights off Ted Bundy. So see that movie because you'll see, you'll see it's my mini-me, I guess. You know, she's... She's beautiful, and her name is Olivia De Laurentiis. So if you go, uh, you want to check out on TikTok, um, she's under, she does comedy under Olivia and Sid, S-Y-D, but you can also see her in the American Boogeyman, um, and she's fighting off Ted Bundy. So there you go. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Diana, you have been so uh, most wonderful. Like I say, I told everybody when I was in elementary school and junior high that I'd eventually be able to uh, get your phone number and call you and take you on a date. I won't be able to do the date thing until you come out here. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I saw how well, big your husband good. is, you so that's probably not going to happen. But I'll just send Matthias <laughs> to distract him while I take you out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, yeah. thank you very much, Diana. You have been wonderful. I'll contact you after the show, let you know how everything went, and uh, I'll, uh, and I, I, I won't call you at 2 in the morning anymore, but I appreciate uh, everything you do for us, and you are awesome. Thank you very much. Merci, Bucket. All right. Au revoir. Polyvoo Francais. All right, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, we, uh, we, uh, we'll be back with our, with our next guest here in just a little bit. Uh, but right now, we need to take a quick little time out, and we will be back after these messages uh, from our uh, our sponsors. So we'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, the new clocks are here. The new clocks are here. Yes, for a limited time, you can get your very own 89.1 Ken's FM clock. For a $25 donation, you can get a classic analog round-faced clock with the 89.1 Ken's FM logo on the front. Just go to our website, www.kensfm.com, and under the More Merch tab, you will find the clocks along with numerous other new merch you can order. Get yours now while supplies last. We have these in limited quantity, so order now at www.kensfm.com. And we are live here on 89.1 Ken's FM, coming out of the green room, stepping out of it, and walking down the aisle and stepping onto the court. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you probably one of the greatest basketball players in the history of the Detroit Pistons. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the coach of the Detroit Pistons as well. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Ray Scott. Hey, this is Ray Scott. You're listening to the Attitude Era Monday Live Monday on 89.1 KENS-FM with your host, the icon, the big swing, the godmother of wrestling, Granny Hulkster, and the modern-day nightmare Matthias. 
So how are you today, sir? Thank you for joining us. I am well, and I, you should be thankful because I am octogenarian. And as you know, we're way past my bedtime, right, my friend? <laughs> well, you know, I, I do I do apologize, and uh, um, uh, that's why I'm glad you're still not coaching because uh, how would you be able to enforce your curfew of your players when you can't make it yourself? Well, now they allow you to hire guys to do that. <laughs> uh, race guys is our guest here on 89.1 Kens FM We got about uh, 28 minutes here uh, So should we refer, refer to you as uh, uh, Coach, uh, Mr. Scott, uh, the Ray Man How should we uh, address you, sir? <laughs> uh, well, uh, when you sign the check You put, uh, no, just, uh, just coach is fine Oh, because usually when people want to sign a check, they say, uh, my best friends call me cash. (laughs) (laughs) I thought better. (laughs) So here's what we're going to do here, uh, uh, Coach. If you want to give us a little background about yourself, and then uh, we'll we'll ask you some questions. We'll do a roundtable, and I'll ask you the tougher questions. Go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, a little bit about myself. At 6'9 and and about 300 pounds, there is not a little bit to tell. Um, but uh, I've, I've just re- recently written a book, so pretty much it's uh, my correlation of all that I've done in coming from South Philly and uh, going to school in Portland, Oregon, out there in the Northwest, and uh, uh, then uh, growing up uh, East Coast and then moving to the Midwest after being drafted by the Pistons, uh, settling here for the last uh sixty some years and and uh having three wonderful children and a, and a wonderful wife and uh just living in a union town uh, it just had so much attraction uh to me uh with all of that background that miasma of background that uh gets thrown into your life uh it just had a big attraction for me to stay in the motor city. And sometimes I think it's because I came here in 1961 just as Motown was beginning. Uh, and that, and that you, yeah, the, the number one, profound uh, uh, you over, yeah, you were in, picked in the first round, the fourth overall pick in that, the 61 draft. Yes. Yes. So, you know, that, that it's like the story is like most of us with kids, you know, we jump around, we jump around, we jump around until we settle down. And I happen to be fortunate enough to settle in uh, uh, Detroit, Michigan, but I had stints of living in Baltimore where I played for the Baltimore Bull- uh, Bullets. And I lived in uh, Virginia where I played for the Virginia Squires with the great Dr. J. Um, and then I came back and coached, and I just made, made this area uh, my home. Uh, because a lot of people that don't see me around anymore, they thought I had moved back to Philadelphia. But I said, no, I, I love the Midwest, and I love the style of living we had here uh, and we have here. Uh, so it, it, it just seemed a very likely place for me to settle down and be happy. You know, and the other thing is about, uh, you know, being, when you were the coach, you were the, the coach of the year in 1974, and, uh, uh, you know, that, uh, I mean, I would definitely, uh, you know, uh, uh, I would definitely want to move there if uh, I was coach of the year for that, for a team, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Th- thank you, Scott. That's that's that's. I I never thought of it that way, but that that well, recognition is and, and that embrace. Yeah, that's 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 good. I like that. Yeah, that that is uh, that's beautiful. You know, where you're successful and where people embrace you is where you would be most comfortable settling down. So yeah, I like that. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we need to take a quick little uh, legal time out here, and then we'll be back uh, after these mes- after this little legal ID, and then uh, we're going to do a roundtable, and then we got a little surprise for you, and then we're going to come back to me, and I'm going to ask you the tougher questions, so give us about uh, 10 seconds. Okay. You're listening to 89.1 Ken's FM, KNNZ-FM, Holly, Fargo-Moorhead, independent public radio for Fargo-Moorhead and the Valley. Also on the web at www.kensfm.com. And Ray Scott is our guest. Uh, our guest here on eighty-nine point one Kens FM. We have a well, we have about uh, twenty-four minutes here with the coach. Uh, coach, actually, we have a caller first that uh, we want to go to that wants to ask you a question. Uh, caller two five zero nine. What do you have for our, our guest, Ray Scott, the coach, the greatest uh, in the history of the Detroit Pistons? Go ahead. Uh, the greatest in the history of the world. That I can't really argue with that. Um, well, I guess the main thing here, um, and listening to the show and following, I I actually have I don't I'm not a huge historian on Detroit Pistons history, um, uh-huh. but looking at because he likes Dallas. I, well, well, not Dallas, not 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 basketball. That's that's my football team. But um, looking <laughs> at the league now as opposed to when you were both involved as a player and a coach, um, do you are, are you a fan of how the game has progressed nowadays or are you not so much of a fan or do you prefer the older you know, the, the the times when you were around it or I mean I mean what because looking at it now and having played basketball in high school and college myself, um, and watching the old documentaries on the Jordan days and the bird days and things, it's just I don't know. Basketball to me, like the NBA to me is Unless it's the playoffs, it's hard for me to watch. I'll watch the playoffs, but I just don't yeah. I don't love it like I do college basketball anymore. But, I mean, how do you feel about the new age of the game? I, you know, I hear that quite a bit because I, too, am from the historical area. Uh, I go back to Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Oscar Robertson, Elgin Baylor, um, yeah. Maurice Stokes, uh, Jerry West, you know, guys that were great proponents of basic fundamental basketball. And so that's how I learned to play the game. And when I grew up in Philadelphia, uh, that's how we played the game. Uh, And you wanted to become very proficient at at doing those things we were doing then. I think with the evolution of television, I really believe that basketball today is played for the television audience. That's why you Mm -hmm. have players today taking the most thrilling shot in the game as a 25-foot shot. And we were taught that that was the worst shot in basketball as kids. But now that's you see guys running around doing it all the time. I could not coach today because if I coached today and somebody took a 25-foot shot, even if he made it, he'd be sitting on the bench next to me. And so, you know, with that in mind, I just always said the game has just evolved to where uh, it is made for TV. The two most spectacular shots, in basketball are the dunk, the dunk shot, guys throwing the ball down, and yeah. the long, what we call the bad shot, the three-point shot. Well, that's, that's the way the game is played today. So the game that you're talking of, you're speaking of, that you played, 
and the game that I played. That's not the game the way it is today, but it's the game that's made for um, interest and getting people to watch the spectacular plays, and it's the game that's uh, made for, I thought, and I still think Hmm. that brought women to the game, that it really uh, helped women become more proficient at the game. You know, well, you know, wait, Coach at, Scott. Uh, at six foot nine. Uh, well, hold on one second. I got at six nine. Did you play center or did you? Or were you more of like a forward? I was more of a forward uh, because he was I, a power I forward than center. Well, now you would call it power forward. I played a little center, but uh, my last two years when I played with Julius Irving in uh, in uh, Virginia uh, and Charlie Scott, I, I played a lot of center. Uh, but that was in the ABA. Uh, in the NBA, okay. I was primarily primarily a forward, uh, and you know that's that's the way our roles were were, were defined. <clears throat> but it, uh, it, it it's interesting when you say that because that too the, the naming of those positions that too had its evolution, and, and you know and now you have six foot nine inch guys playing guard. Remember, Magic Johnson was six foot nine inches, and he became a guard. Well, well, I was going to say, a, yeah, guys today, 6'6", six, 6'7", yeah. six, 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 are playing. And even the big guys, like you look at like yeah. the Dirk's of the world, the 7-footer, seven 7'1", seven uh, Kevin Durant, 7'1", yeah. he's popping up pulling 30-foot right. threes, you know. So it's yeah. just different nowadays that the big guys have range and are shooting from the outside as well. So it's just it's yeah, crazy. Indeed. You know, yeah, and uh, Coach Scott, the one thing that the caller forgot to mention is he also holds a record for missing the most bunny layups in uh, his <laughs> high school's history. Uh, uh, Ray Scott is yes. our guest here. We're on 89 Boy What Gets Hip, and we got about uh, 28 minutes. Uh, we're going to do a roundtable, and we're going to talk a little bit about the book, because uh, that's why you're here. Uh, but, uh, Matthias, uh, I know you're a big sports guy. What do you have for our guest, Coach Ray Scott? Well, first off, I want to welcome you onto the show. Yes, you're talking to the man from every woman's greatest dream and every man's worst nightmare, North Dakota's number one heel, Matthias, on the show. Welcome. So you'll probably never see him on a basketball court. Well, I, I did play basketball back when I was in high school, uh, but eventually my job really caught up to me, and I really wanted to make some money to go out to college, so I stopped playing basketball, but I continued on with football. Uh, my main question for you, sir, would be, was there any player in the game that you wished you could have played against or got the chance to be able to coach but never got the opportunity to? You know, that's a great question. I, I would love to have coached Julius Irving. Uh, the things that, that he could do on a basketball court were phenomenal uh, as a coach. As a player, because I got to play with Wilt Chamberlain and against Bill Russell and Oscar uh, great players, um, and I, I came. I thought I came along in basketball's greatest era, so I got to play against a lot of great competition. Um, but the, you know, I, I wish I could have played with Willis Reed because he abused me so much when, in playing against him. So uh, the, the, I think that's maybe one of those nightmares that could have gone away if I'd gotten to play with Willis Reed in the New York Knicks. See, that's why I don't like Wills Reed to this day because of how he treated you on the on the court. <laughs> well, uh, well, we're 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 in unison. Although he is a great guy, he is a he is a, a super guy. 
Uh, Coach Ray Scott is our guest here on 89.1 Ken's FM, and uh, we have about uh, 25 minutes here with uh, Ray. Uh, now, uh, I want to uh, introduce you, uh, Ray, uh, Coach, to uh, Granny Hulkster. Now, she... Um, uh she was uh, uh she was born when basketball was invented but uh i know that she has a few questions for you so go ahead granny what do you got well welcome to our show it's a pleasure to have you on um Thank i was you. born in 1962 i just had a birthday last week i just turned 60 last monday as a matter of fact so very very proud to, of my age but you know i'm i'm not one of these women that are ashamed to talk about my age but hey ray um, that's your whole career right there <laughs> I mean, I watch I, I watch some basketball. You know, I, I I don't watch a lot of basketball now. My son, my son, I have a 35 year old son, and he like he loves basketball. I mean, he he can I think he could tell you every team, every player. I mean, he just he loves to watch the sport. I don't watch a lot of it, but I do watch it every once in a while. But what was more of a challenge for you, actually? Playing this, you know, playing basketball or just coaching. I I think as you it, it, you go in phases, uh, Granny. I uh, actually I, I I kind of did it in in quadrants. I think you you have to learn to play that has its difficulties. Uh, then you have to learn to be a teammate because you mm-hmm. know you you can only put five guys on the floor at a time and. You know, you have to get over yourself because you're not going to be on the floor for all of the minutes of the game. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a learning, uh, learning piece. And then the other thing is you have to learn how to win. And uh, the, the biggest thing I had to learn was how to coach because coaching was not something that I intended to do. I just happened to fall into it. It just fell into place. So learning to oh, wow was quite difficult because now you're managing 12 different people with 12 different ideas, 12 different thoughts about the way to do things. So that, that's, uh, but that's, that's a good question. I, I, I never thought about it, but that's how I would break it up. That's awesome. Uh, we have uh, Coach Ray Scott as our guest here. Uh, we're going to, we're going to move on here, uh, Coach, and we're going to talk a little bit about your book and I'm going to ask you some uh uh, tougher questions, you know, because when I played basketball, I, uh, I'm i proud of this. I actually hold the most records uh, for being uh, sat on the bench for uh, mouthing off to the referees, and I'm uh-huh. still proud of that. But uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. But let's talk a little bit about your book. Tell us uh, the title and uh, when uh, uh, what, the, what uh, motivated you to write it, and also the fact that you always had the best hair in the NBA. <laughs> well, thank you. My goodness, I love this show. I'm calling back next week. Um, <laughs> the, the the thing, uh, the the motivation for the book came years and years and years ago from my wife. But I, like uh, most husbands, that message took a while to get home. Um, so, uh, right around my my 80th birthday, or just around the pa- the time of the pandemic. Uh, we we found out that we were going to be in the house uh, for quite some time together. And uh, so one of the things that uh, kind of fell out of the air was, you're going to write a book. And that was my wife's suggestion. And uh, she said that she felt that, you know, I had lived 
the parallel life in the United States because I I grew up an African American kid in an African American hood that I was blessed to go to college, like I said, at the University of Portland in Oregon, and so we started talking about the book and the the, the journey that I had uh, in the United States, but also the the parallel journey that I had uh, in the NBA, and so I had a really good seat to see this country grow from the prospects of 1960 when John Fitzgerald Kennedy became the president. And he was the first Catholic uh, president in America, and, and boy, that was a, a real difficult election. But one of the things that, uh, that President Kennedy said is that uh, because of the era, we were coming out of that era of, uh, of segregation, uh, but Dr. King and Malcolm X and Rosa Parks, there were people just doing all kinds of work to try to bring us together as a nation. And uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy said, going forward in the 60s, as I am president, I wanted to bring our Negro brethren into the frontiers of America, that where we're going. And I never forgot that. And just not too long after that, 1961, I was drafted into the NBA. Um, and so now I'm, you know, perched uh, in this prestigious place looking at America, but still with a lot of the same problems because one of the things that had existed uh, in me psychologically was the murder of, of Emmett Till, who was a 14-year-old kid that was murdered in, uh, in Mississippi. And so that stayed in my mind. And then we kind of began this tumultuous time uh, in America with the 60s, and it just became something you would not believe. If you weren't around, and, and, and I know Granny was only being born at that time, but I was here. And so as a 22-year-old, I was seeing this world and feeling this movement in the country, and it was civil rights, and it was voting rights, and then it was the Vietnam War. And, and then it was a change in music, and then it was a change in clothing, and um, then we had Motown. So all of this stuff was going around me as I'm growing up uh, in this country and trying to understand it, take it all in, and, and put it all together and still go out and play a good game of basketball. And so, you know, it was just, um, as, as, as I state in the book, it was just that, 60s that kind of brought all of this together uh, through the 60s, through the 70s, because in the 70s I went from playing to coaching. And so, you know, again, it, it just, I don't know, it just became an unusually great world because all of these changes were going on and people were coming to us and asking us questions about it and and what we thought and how we felt, and no one even cared what we felt or thought prior to that in the uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And I was born in 1938, but uh, not that anyone talked to me in 1938. I was only two years old. But uh, <laughs> it, it just, you know, you, you just hear all of these things and feel all of these things, and that was a, a big part of America's growth. So for my observation post, for that growth was the NBA. And then here's this league that's growing that started in 1947. And in 1950, 
they decided that, that although our league was segregated, we're going to integrate. So they brought in three African players. They brought in uh, Earl Lloyd from West Virginia State University. They brought in, uh, which was the HBCU or black school. They brought in uh, Chuck Cooper, who was from Duquesne, uh, a university out of Pittsburgh. And they bought the contract of Sweetwater Clifton. So all of a sudden, with these 80 or 90 players that constituted the NBA, you have now three African-Americans on the floor. And they were the guys that put their toe in the water and first were first exposed to America in that integrated way. But the fellows that had the largest impact was the Chamberlains, the Russells, the uh, Oscar Robertson, the Elgin Baylors, the super players, because the NBA at that time was a spectator sport. People went to the games to see the players. We weren't on television, and there was only some radio, so nobody really knew who we were. They had to read us about read about us in the papers. So, with that development of those players that they said are great basketball players, all of a sudden, that begins in the NBA. This uh, this decree that we're now going to bring in African-American players and, and, and build this league. And so think, and thinking about that, if you're thinking about the laws of integration as opposed to segregation, and now we have these sports leagues, I thought that the NBA was a model of what the country could become. Uh, Coach Ray Scott is our guest here, and the book is called uh, The NBA in Black and White, The Memories of a Trailblazing NBA Player and Coach. Now, uh, the one thing I like about uh, this cover, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, for those of you who listen to our show regularly, if you go to our Facebook page, Attitude Era, Monday Live Money, like that. Uh, go to 89.1 Ken's FM page, like that. Do a $10 a month uh, donation for the tower. You automatically get qualified to win an uh, autographed uh, picture or some memorabilia from uh uh, current guest, past guest, or virtue guest. Uh, Ray, would you be willing to send us a few autographs for giveaways? Absolutely. I saw. I got your note today, and we will be working on that tomorrow. Okay, perfect. And then we I hope you like that basketball card I made for you, too, as well. I didn't get the card. I, I just I just texted I it to you. Oh, okay, okay. Then I'm, I don't have it in front of me. Okay. Like, well, like I say, I'm, you do, sure you do have the best hair in the whole league, league, you know. Well, you sound like a talented man. <laughs> hey, you guys, I got that on tape. I'm going to use that. He said I'm a talented guy. I got that. Uh, so now, uh, Ray, I, I want to ask you a few more questions about, uh, you know, uh, your career uh, in uh, basketball. And, uh, I mean, you have uh, many accomplishments, uh, accomplishments, like I say, uh, first round, fourth overall pick in 1961 by the Detroit Pistons. Uh, you, um, your basketball numbers, of course, uh, my dad gave these to me. You were number 22, 12, and 31. Uh, you played for the Allentown Jets, the Detroit Pistons, the Baltimore Bullets, the Virginia Squires. Uh, then you coached the uh, Detroit Pistons. Uh, you also uh, were the first African-American coach to win Coach of the Year in 1974. Uh, you averaged 14.3 points a game, uh, 9.8 rebounds a game, and 2.2 assists per game. Uh, uh, you, you weren't much in the assist category because uh, you were hogging the ball all the time, uh, like my dad said when you played the Lakers, and uh, you didn't want to pass it off. You just want to drive right to the hoop, so that's why you weren't very uh, high on the assist list, right? 
Oh, you know, I, I can't come on this show again if you're going to expose me like that. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're, you were uh, also named one of the 30 greatest all-time Pistons, and uh, uh, you are also inducted into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame, the Michigan Sports Hall of Fame, uh, and, uh, wow, I mean, j- just a whole – and now you're going to be a New York uh, Times uh, best-selling author. So uh, with all these accomplishments, wh- what is next? What is the next pinnacle that you want to reach besides being on the show? I know this is the peak, but what do you want to do yeah. after this? I'm going to write another book. Can I write the poem for you? Sure. <laughs> yes, we could, well, I'm sure we could agree on that. It's going, but it's going to be about boxing. I'm writing. We're okay. going to write a book uh, on, on boxing uh, in in black and white. We're going to tell how uh, boxing started uh, in the in the uh, 1900s, and uh, with with John L. Sullivan, and how it came from John L. Sullivan up to Jack Johnson to Joe Lewis uh, to uh, uh, after Joe Lewis we had Rocky Marciano, then we had uh, uh, Floyd Patterson, then Muhammad Ali. Uh, and so uh, my book will will end uh, with Muhammad Ali. All right, and then uh, Matthias, you know how to, uh, I I know Matthias, you're a wrestler, but you know how to take a hit, right? Oh, of course. I mean, I've done it for years, uh, especially <laughs> in football or pro wrestling or even doing my security work. I know I'm I'm quite used to taking hits. So uh, this uh, this uh, this next book that you're going to write about boxing when. Uh, uh, have you started writing it, uh, or uh, is it just in the development stage right now, or is it completed? Are you just waiting to release it? Well, we're developmental. We have to, our contract says we have to have it uh, ready to go by next summer. So it'll okay. be re- would released you, probably next June. Uh, but would you yeah, be willing to come back of... on with us uh, before Absolutely. it's released and talk about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, Lisa, uh, this is a. Uh, She's our mouthpiece. She's the one that works for us. So if she thinks that uh, I, I, I have work and you guys will have me, I'm sure I'll be back with you. Well, I'll tell you what. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, not that I'm bragging here, Coach, but uh, we are we are uh, booked up until uh, the end of 2023. But what's interesting is you mentioned that uh, the book is uh, due out in June. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to Lisa uh, tomorrow, and I'm going to get you booked up. Let's see, uh, and I know this is riveting for our fans, but uh, I'm going to look <laughs> right here. The first Monday in June of 2023 is June 5th. What I'm going to do is I'm going to contact uh, Lisa tomorrow, and I'm going to get okay. you on June 5th, 2023, and yes. we're going to do it at 915 uh uh, 9.15 p.m., uh, so it won't be as late, so you can make bed uh, by your curfew, so, uh, you know, your your wife won't get upset and make you fish sticks for being late. That's right. <laughs> well, as you know, you can call me the Gordon's man. I've eaten a lot of fish sticks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have uh, Coach Ray Scott as our guest here, and we have, uh, well, we have about uh, 10 minutes here left with the coach. So, now, when you uh, – I'm – I want to ask you about the NBA draft. And I understand if you don't want to answer this, but when you uh, when you were drafted, uh, is there like any team that you like are hoping? Geez, I hope they don't pick me. Or is there like one team you really wanted to go to, or would you not want to answer that? 
No, I would want to answer that because it's a big part of my history. The reason I was drafted number four in the nation is because of Red Auerbach, who was the coach of the Boston Celtics, who had told me that uh, back in 1961 he wanted to draft me because I had played for him in the Catskills. Uh, The Catskills was the mountain resort in New York, uh, and it was specifically uh, geared to our Jewish brethren. And I worked there for a summer as a bellhop, as did Wilt Chamberlain. He worked there for two summers as a bellhop. So I I knew about that, and I knew Red because Red was the uh, athletic director up for the uh, for the building for the uh, uh, resort. And so I got to know Red, and I played for him. And he said he wanted to draft me, and he he shared that information with Earl Lloyd who became my mentor, but Earl Lloyd said, well, if Red Auerbach's going to draft this guy and he's got the championship team up there in Boston with Bill Russell and Bob Cousy and Bill Sharman and Tommy Heitzen and that group, he said if they're going to draft Ray, he must be pretty good, so we're going to draft him. So that's well, you I know. To... Mm-hmm. Okay, now in the '61 in the '61 draft, uh, let's uh, let's look who went before you. You had uh, Walt Bellamy, who I don't even know. He was drafted by the Chicago Packers. Good thing they uh, good thing they dropped their their Packer name and went to the uh, the Bulls. Then you had yeah. uh, Tom uh, Still. Uh, he was uh, drafted by the New York Knicks. Then you had Larry Siegfried, not of Siegfried and Roy. He went to the Cincinnati Royals. <laughs> I don't know who they became. Uh, and then we had Ray Scott, the Detroit Pistons. Then uh, after you, it's Wayne Yates who went to the Lakers. I, my dad really wanted you to go to the Lakers because he was a big Laker fan because a lot of people don't know that the Lakers actually started in Minnesota. They actually were the Minneapolis Lakers. Uh, there's no lakes in Los Angeles. Trust me on this. Uh, then uh, it went uh, Ben Warley. Uh, he went to the Syracuse Nations. Uh, then uh, Tom Marache, he went to the Philadelphia Warriors. Then uh, Cleo Hill, he went to the St. Louis Hawks. Uh, Gary Phelps went to the Boston Celtics. And to round out the top ten was Whitney Martin, who went to the New York Knicks. Now, the, thing, the interesting thing is, in the top uh, 23 uh, for the first round, you were the only one drafted by the, uh, um, uh, by the Pistons. Yes. Now, yes, uh, was... if if you um, if you had the if you know uh, like I say if you had the the uh, you know you mentioned where you wanted to go, but is there yes. like, and I don't know much about the NBA back in the '60s because that's my dad's wheelhouse, but uh, and I yes. don't know who the bad teams were back then. But is there like one team you're like going, geez, I hope I don't go there like in like for the NFL, it's like the Cleveland Browns where quarterbacks go to right. pass, but. Uh, back then in the NBA, who was the, who was the bad teams back in the NBA in the '60s? Well, I didn't. I did not. I, I thought I was going to be a Nick. I thought I could have been a Cincinnati Royal. And neither of them drafted me, um, so I became a Piston. Uh, but there was in those days because uh, the opportunities were uh, not great. I, I will say because of the the segregation and the integ- slash integration that was going on, you were thankful, my friend, you were thankful to be drafted by anyone because what you had presented to you was an opportunity. 
And that's what we were praying for. And that's what we were working for. We were working to get opportunities. So any place you could go, you would go. But if I had my druthers, I would have been a Boston Celtic, of course, because that's where right. I knew I wanted. But the Pistons made me at home. Uh, I worked for them for, for 10 years, I six as a player and four as a coach. And so I think it worked out quite well, and I'm still here in Michigan. Um, my family, we're all Pistons fans, so it, it, it worked rather well. You know, I think we I think we have presented and put where we're supposed to be spiritually. You know, I'm kind of curious. Uh, you know, you got to play against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and uh, uh, Will Chamberlain. I'm just kind of curious, what is it like standing right next to Will Chamberlain, and how high did you have to look up to to look him in the eye? Well, you know, I, I grew up in high school with Will. Well, I was 14, and Will was 16. And at that time, I was 6'8 in high school, and Will was uh, was 6'11. Um, and so, so you did, course, so you're the one that did all his homework then. He just had to copy whatever was on my paper. <laughs> no, he he wouldn't have passed if he had done that. But Wilt Wilt was a unique. Uh, we're, we're, in fact, we're doing a uh, uh, a special on one Showtime for Wilt. But Wilt was a very special basketball player, as was Kareem, and they were very close. And I remember being with them up at Cutcher's at, at one time, and I was standing there. And I looked up at Wilt, and towering over Wilt, honest to goodness, by at least uh, maybe shoulder and a head, was Kareem. And I told Wilt then, I said, well, I am so unused to looking at you and seeing someone taller than you, because I've never never witnessed anything like that in my life. And uh, uh, until, I got, until I got to the NBA. But uh, Coach Ray Scott is our guest here. We got about four minutes left with uh, Coach. Now, uh, real quick yes. here, Coach, if our fan, if our fans want to check you out, you got a Facebook, a YouTube, a Twitter, a Twitch, a TikTok, and where can they get your book? <laughs> the, 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 to get the book, if you have a, a Barnes and Noble, or you have access to Amazon, or a Walmart, or J.C. Penney, or even just your bookstore, your friendly bookstore. They can they can order it from uh, Seven Stories Publishing out of New York, uh, so the, the the book is is accessible. Um, uh, I I like to think that people would want to uh, uh, get get my book. Uh, in fact, one of the copies of books that I'm up against is a is a, is a book out called Muggsy. Uh, have you ever heard of Muggsy? Muggsy uh, Bowles was a Muggsy Bowles, basketball yeah. player. And Muggsy Bowes was five foot three, and he was a wow. professional basketball player. And his his he and so I said, if you if you want the long of it, you ask for my book, NBA Black and White. You want a short book, get Muggsy's book. And then the one of the uh, thing I, uh, I'm. Um... Uh, one thing I do want to ask you about, uh, I know that you are good friends with uh, this individual, and I'm going to try and do my best Vince McMahon here, but I want to know what it's like being friends with Miss Aretha Franklin. Oh, my goodness. That's so many people. You know, that's, that was one of the greatest nights of my life. 
uh, very quickly, Scott, <clears throat> I was playing in my first year, and we traveled to Indianapolis, Indiana, and after the game, my roommate and I went to a club called the Pink Poodle in Indianapolis, Indiana. And at the Pink Poodle was the singer from Detroit. They advertised she was from Detroit. And we go to this club, and this club is packed. And I'm sitting there, and the place was so crowded, I think there was like one empty seat in the club. And the band finishes playing. They take their break, and down to that one seat comes Miss Aretha Franklin. And she sits down next to me. She was 19, and I was 22. And we started talking. I said, I'm here with the Pistons. And she she said, I'm from Detroit. And we talked about Detroit, and we became friends. She's like one of the coolest people I ever knew. And quick story, I was traded in 1966 to the Baltimore Bullets. And my buddies, my teammates took me out to a club to see uh, the act, and the act happened to be Mrs. Aretha Franklin. And Miss Franklin said, uh, my, my friend is here tonight. He's been traded to the Baltimore Bullets, but I want to sing a song for him. And the song that I'm going to sing for him uh, is going to be, You're Going to Hear From Me. And I thought about that in 1974 when I was the coach of the year. I was elected the coach of the year, and I was standing in Detroit at midcourt before 11,000 people, and I thought of Miss Aretha Franklin's song, You're Going to Hear From Me. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, Ray Scott is our guest here. We do appreciate uh, you taking uh, time uh, out of your schedule, and we're definitely going to have you back on again. You are awesome, sir. And like I say, I wasn't just saying this when I said you had the best hair in the league back in the 60s. You are awesome, sir, <laughs> and uh, thank you for taking time out of your schedule, and now we'll let, you go, uh, we'll let you go get some sleep. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much, Scott. And I look forward to seeing you in 2023, my friend. You got it, bud. Thank you. Take care. All right. Ray Scott, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to take a quick little commercial break. Uh, Our next guest is Waiting the Wings, and we'll be back right after this. As you know, 89.1 Ken's FM is funded through donations by our listeners and sponsorships from area businesses. If your business would like to sponsor Ken's FM and reach thousands of young adults and college students every day, contact us at 218-585-3067 or at info at kensfm.com. Any one of us can help you get your sponsorship started. We have many packages available to fit your budget. So contact us today at 218-585-3067 or at info at kensfm.com. And thanks for listening to 89.1 Ken's FM. Ladies and gentlemen, stepping out of the green room and walking down the aisle with guitar at hand. She has several CDs on the market. She has several number one gold records. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the return of Carla Yobrich. Monday Live Monday on 89.1 Ken's FM with your host, the icon, the big swing, the godmother of wrestling, Granny Hulkster, and the modern nightmare, Matthias. Welcome back, Carla. How are you? I'm great. How are you? 
Good. Uh, just so you know, uh, I have uh, I have one of your albums here in my hand that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But we're going to talk about your new stuff as well. But first, before we do that, uh, if you want to give us a little background about yourself, then we'll uh, talk to you and have some fun with the interview. Sounds good. Okay, well, I'm uh, originally from South Carolina, and I have been relocated uh, to New Jersey. A culture shock. Uh, but uh, I live up here with my husband, who is awesome, and our tiny dog. And uh, I'm I'm the weirdo in my neighborhood because I'm, I ain't from around here. That's my thing. But I've been doing this for a long time. I've, I've got a bunch of albums. And um, what else do you want to know about me? Well, you know, free. I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. You have... Uh, you have uh, 12, uh, I believe, 12 albums uh, out. Uh, let's see. Uh, the most recent one is Inside Jokes, Songs for Quarantine. And um, that's, I don't think that's the one I have in my hand right now. No, the most but, recent one is the one, the one I sent you is Twang. That's the very most recent one. That's what I have. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I love that one. And there's one song that I have to kind of edit the title, but... Uh, it's my wife's favorite song, and whenever uh, I don't do that, whenever I don't do the dishes, she always asks me this question: "Hey, you want to play track eight? Would you not be a Richard?" Uh, and uh, for those of you who know uh, uh, another name for Richard, that's the name of the song. So, being uh, being a uh, a musical artist uh, and putting out all these uh, CDs, uh, you, the first one that you ever did was something real uh, in 1994. Uh, when you first put out your first album, are you like going, "Wow, this is going to be like a, uh, this is going to be, this is going to go gold, this is going to go silver, this is going to go platinum"? Uh, when you first put out your first album, what uh, we know that you're thinking that, but uh, what is uh, what is your main goal when you when you uh, put out your first album ever? That's an interesting question. My first album was just uh, five songs. So it was kind of an EP, and it only was on cassette because it was 1995. Four. And I was really just trying to get booked at uh, shows that were in my nearby area. It was it was really just, and then people wanted to buy it, so I started making more copies of it. And so <laughs> I wasn't planning to go gold at first. I was just trying to get started. So you know, the I interesting had, thing had, is. You know, you know, I, I put out a comedy CD back in the day that went aluminum. I think my cassette went plastic. <laughs> well, hey, that's better than aluminum. Uh, you know, plastic is worth more money. But it got me a lot of shows. It, you, you know, that, that, that was, it, was exa- it did exactly what I wanted it to do, which is it got me a lot of shows. And, uh, and you know, it made my local fans happy and it led me to doing the next one and the next one and uh, every you learn with every project you learn so much uh carla alberts is our guest here on 89.1 kids fm we got uh, 25 minutes here with uh carla uh here's what we're going to do here we're going to uh uh talk a little bit about uh, twang but we're going to do a little uh round table here uh, we'll start out with uh matthias uh now i know that he would like you uh to do uh compose a coming to ring song for his uh for his career 
Uh, go ahead, Matthias. Uh, beg for that. Uh, what do you got for our guest? Go ahead. Well, first off, I want to welcome you on to the show. Yes, you are talking to the man from every woman's greatest dream and every man's worst nightmare, North Dakota's number one heel, Matthias here. Welcome on to the show. Um, I Thanks. guess one of my main my one of my main questions for you, um, because I, I like to play music back when I was younger and I like to make music every once in a while when I could. What was one of your more difficult challenges uh, that's been going on? Like, what is one of your more difficult songs or one of your most difficult challenges throughout your career so far? Oh, well, you know, I think the hardest thing was starting out in South Carolina and doing the, the, the bars when I don't really do bar music, but there wasn't anywhere else to play. So, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty tough because – you know, my music is very lyric-focused, and uh, people just are shouting, free bird, and stuff like that. So I'd, I'd say it was that, probably, just being the – but then I started traveling and playing in, in Georgia and South Florida, and, and then I found people who were more interested in, you know, less beer, more listening to music. Not that you can't okay. do this at once. <laughs> and then uh, so, how many different intru- instruments did you play? Oh, Or do you wow. know how to play? Uh, well, I don't know if I still know how to play all these things because I was a marching band nerd in high school. Not to be redundant or anything, but, uh, yeah, marching band nerd. And uh, I played a different instrument every year. I played flute, clarinet, piccolo, xylophone. Uh, I don't play any of these anymore because I live in a townhouse, and that doesn't make you very popular, me playing the flute at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you can imagine but uh and then yeah uh then i was a drum major so i played the whistle ha huh? which is not an instrument but <laughs> it is loud and uh then i also played piano and guitar and ukulele and bass most guitar players play bass and uh i think that's it all the things i okay. can legitimately say that i knew how to play is it that's enough though i guess these days it's just piano youth and guitar uh, Carla Albrich is our guest here on 89.1 Ken's FM. we got uh, 22 minutes. Now, uh, Carla, I know that Granny Hulkster, she loves uh, her country music, and she loves her comedy music, too. So, Granny, what do you got for our guest? Go ahead. Well, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on with us tonight. What Thank you, Granny. Your, oh, you're welcome. What is your most favorite thing about being a musician? What's the thing you enjoy about it the most? I, it's a toss-up between the, the creativity. I just love creating something out of nothing. And the people you meet. You just meet great people, whether it's you know the people who come to hear you play or the other musicians who I get to collaborate with. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the people and then the creativity that I think if you go back to – so what made you happy when you were five or six, it, it really doesn't change throughout, I think, for me anyway. It doesn't really change throughout my life. It's, it's the creativity and and just making friends. Well, that's awesome. And what's your favorite kind of music you always enjoyed playing the most? Oh, I thought you were going to say listening to because it's, it's different. Uh, well, it's not that different. Um, but playing, well, I just love doing humorous songs because it you know you know instantly with a funny song whether it works or not serious oh, song yeah. you have to kind of wait till people come up and tell you later <laughs> what they thought of it 
But, uh, yeah, I, I do love doing the funny songs. I started out doing serious songs and then telling funny stories in between, and it was kind of a bipolar experience for the audience. They were like, oh, <laughs> just flingy from one extreme to the other. They're like, uh, okay, I'm laughing, I'm crying, I'm laughing, I'm crying. This doesn't make any sense. And, uh, and then I found out, you know, all my sad songs were about relationships gone wrong, and then all my funny stories were about relationships gone wrong. So one day someone looked at me and goes, why don't you turn that funny story into a song? And that's when it all changed. So I was like, that never occurred to me to take all these ridiculous stories and turn them into songs. I don't think yeah, I did. You know, that's awesome. <laughs> well, you know, well, you know, because uh, Carla and I have such a great uh, relationship uh, I- I- as far as friends, uh, she has not ever wrote a song about me, but I'm waiting. Uh, Carla, um Albridge is our guest here on 89.1 Kids FM. Now, like I say, you, uh, I'm going to take you through a couple uh, CDs uh, that you put out, and then uh, I'm going to kind of ask you uh, your opinion on something, uh, and we'll do that towards the end here because I still want you to like me because we are friends. But uh, one, of the, um, one of the albums that uh, I find kind of interesting that you did was uh, Inside Joke, Songs for Quarantine, which is obviously you did during uh, COVID, but... Uh, when you during COVID, uh, were you stuck at home most of the time? Uh, you didn't really get to tour much, did you? No, I was completely stuck at home. You know, Jersey and the New York area got hit first and got hit hard with the lockdown and um, just COVID all over the place. It was uh, so we yeah we were I was stuck at home, and whenever I get in a situation where I'm like really stressed out i just turned to the creativity and that's my outlet so i started live streaming every week and and i was like oh i need new songs you know because i'm going to be live streaming every week I've, i got to keep it fresh and so i was just writing and I, I learned how to finally i'm a little late to the game but i finally learned how to record myself on my computer and so i made that whole album at home i wrote it at all the i wrote all the songs and recorded all the songs and released the album in the course of like six weeks wow. of lockdown. And, yeah. and then, of <laughs> course, my, my favorite album of yours is uh, Twang. Uh, awesome. That's my uh, newest one. You probably don't want to hear about my favorite songs, but I'm going to give them to you anyway. Uh, uh, interviewing I do want to hear about that. Interviewing Therapists, I love that one. Uh, 20 Great. Rats. Uh, have, you, have you tried not being a Richard? Uh, and uh, probably my all-time favorite one, uh, Stop Trying to Bring on the Apocalypse. <laughs> I, wow, I started, all right. You, you did not I pick started the listening to that song, and I'm like, going, yeah, I'm like, uh, this, I'm like thinking, this has got to be some kind of political statement song or something when I, when I first read it. It, it. it kind of is. It's it's not against like a political party or a politician or anything. It's more about the folks. Uh, there are it's a small number of folks, but they do a lot of damage. Who are they really believe that if they just ruin the earth and make it uninhabitable, then Jesus will come back faster. And I'm like, but what about the rest of us who have to live here? <laughs> like, <laughs> You and know what? He uh, doesn't come back <laughs> immediately. And then, then uh, uh, track number eight. Have you tried not being a Richard? Uh, we're just kind of. Uh, uh, some fans are asking which boss did you write that about? Ha ha! That's about my experience being on the. I hope you don't have this out there. 
in in North Dakota, uh, but being on the homeowners association board. Oh, oh, well, um, yeah, we, I, we I have something similar to that, but oh, I've, it's those, it's those. You might hear stories about these. Uh, I never, I'd never heard of a homeowners association until I moved to New Jersey. And I'm like, what is this? We recreated a police state because things were too fun and free here. What, you know, it's where uh, the uh, developer sets it up. Because you know, when you got townhouses and condos, like somebody has to take care of the the roofs and the siding and stuff. So they they, you know, you don't like I only take care of my little part of the siding. It's it's one building, and so you have to have like an overseeing people collecting money to take care of the big projects like that. But then they start getting real nitpicky and, like, writing you nasty letters like there's there's weeds in your shrub bed and we're going to fine you if you don't take oh, – you, you can't paint your house any other color but this specific shade of brown. And, and oh, your, your yard is, like, a quarter of an inch too long and uh, you can't park here and, oh, we don't like the curtains in your – it, it's ridiculous. So I well, it we sounds had that way. problems. Yeah, we had problems, and I thought I'm going to get on the board because the people on the board here were really nasty, and I wanted to change the culture. And uh, I thought, you know, I want to make a difference. And oh, I made a difference. I was like, now I need a therapist. Uh, Carla uh, Aldrich is our guest here. We got 15 minutes here left with uh, Carla. Now uh, another uh, a couple of albums that uh, I've been I've actually trying to find and uh, now don't take this wrong way Carla but I uh, I have uh, uh, four of your albums right now I'm currently bidding on eBay right now and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, my the ones I'm trying to get are Total Average Woman uh, Carla Albridge uh, her fabulous debut uh, Sick Humor uh, this, that's actually on. Did you know there's actually an autographed copy of one of your CDs on eBay right now? Oh, I wonder who I wonder who it's autographed to. Probably not you. No, no, I I have mine <laughs> in my man cave. And then the other one I'm trying to do is uh, professional smart Alec, which of course is more like me. Uh, of those albums, uh, which one do you think that I should uh, I should uh, uh, of, of when I get them? What uh, song would you want me to gravitate towards for each one of those albums? Okay, so for Totally Average Woman, I'm going to guess that you're going to like either the the title track, Totally Average Woman, which is a blues spoof. It sort of it sort of makes fun of all the blues clichés. Um, or Joe's Ex-Girlfriends, which is uh, the hook of that is, thank you, Joe's Ex-Girlfriends, my husband. You make me look sane. <laughs> <laughs> I like in that. In comparison. Yeah, they were so crazy that I'm like, oh, well, that makes me look just like a normal person. And that that takes some doing. So the, I, I noticed, that, uh, on that album, I would say those two will probably stand out to you. All right. And I noticed you got one uh, song on your uh, album, Her Fabulous Debut, uh, named after uh, Matthias. Uh, were you aware of that, Matthias? Uh, no. Uh, it's called Boy Wonder. Oh. Huh? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Again, we're going to have a little talk after the show. Well, hey, look, I want to we, 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 
Yeah, we, that we, would be more DeLorean Diggs, one of my most and my biggest enemies. Yeah, no, that is. I'd say that he learns more towards him. And uh, you know the, um, you know, like I said, you said your most your most recent one is Twang. Uh, what else you got coming out? Uh, uh, do you have another album uh, uh, coming out uh, soon, uh, or that you're working on that you can kind I of break the edge? I have one I'm working on. Yeah, I do. I'm I'm always writing and. Uh, I have plenty of songs for a new album, but I uh, have to get back in the studio. Um, and I'm going to use, I don't want to do it at, at home. Uh, but I do have a single coming out pretty soon about football. I might put it out, like, next week. Now, what is that called? It's called Sit Here and Scream. And it's about how uh, the football teams are always, changing cities, changing the names of their teams, braiding away their players. And it's like, uh, well, I guess I'm just going to sit here and scream because I, I don't even know who's on the field anymore. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, we can't mention the uh, title of the documentary, but uh, you did a song called If I Had the Copyright uh, for a documentary by Steve Anderson. Of course, we can't give the title because, uh, you know, it's uh, – uh, well, that, is, uh, a, that P- is oh the title of the documentary, yes. <laughs> right, it's a PG a PG show, but uh, how did you get hooked up with that? Uh, that was so strange. A friend of mine who sort of is in the music business and the movie business called me and said uh, he was reading, I think, Variety magazine, and he said uh, they're making a movie uh, about the F word, and you need to get your song in it. And I said, okay, how do I do that? And uh, he's like, well, the director's name is this. And, um, and and so I just, you know, got on the Google machine and and found a fax number, and I sent him a fax, and he got back to me. So it was, it was a little bit of a little bit of luck and a little bit of uh, Google foo. Now I don't know if you I don't know if you still do this. Uh, Carla Allrich is our guest here on eighty nine point one Kids FM. We got about uh, ten minutes left here with uh, Carla. But uh, now, uh, do you still uh, um, do you still uh, give lessons uh, for teaching instruments? Do you still do that, or is that uh, something that's I in the do. Past? I I still have a handful of students uh, that I teach virtually, uh, you know, over the computer or the phone, you know, like a uh, FaceTime or Skype or whatever. Uh, but I do have a handful of the students that I'm still very attached to who uh, have, you know, we have several years of working together. And some of them I only meet once a month. And, you know, we're pretty flexible about each other's schedules because when you go off and do shows, then, you know, you can't split your brain and go, uh, okay, I know I've got a sound check, but i got to do a piano lesson right now. So, uh yeah, I still have a handful of students, and I do. I really do enjoy teaching. I've been doing it off and on for a pretty long time, and I'm, I'm good at it. And I feel like I'm contributing something, like making people's lives better. I don't want everything to just be about myself. So you know, yeah, one, I one thing I was kind of I was kind of curious about. Uh, uh, you you won an award in 2006 uh, for novelty song of the year, uh, and the song is called "What If Your Butt Was Gone." Uh, of course, you wouldn't be able to sit down. But uh, I'm kind of curious when uh, when you get an award like that, um, is there like a 
Uh, do they, like, call you, like, a month in advance saying uh, you won this award or you're being nominated for this award we're having the banquet or the session on this day? Uh, I'm kind of curious. Could you take us through that on uh, how you find out that you're nominated or if you won or take us through that? Well, I believe with that, I think that was the Just Plain Folks Award, which was a very large-scale, some ridiculous number, like 70,000 entries, but they have about 20 categories. And uh, they do, they just email everybody. Um, and for that for that particular thing, other things I've gotten phone calls, but this one was for a, a, just email because they had like I said, 20 categories, and then they have their winners and their runners-up and everything. So I don't know how many phone calls that would be. So they just do it with an email blast uh, to let you, what, let you know that you placed. And um, and then they had a big gala, but I wasn't able to attend for some reason in 2006. I don't remember what happened. But I, I think I was getting ready to get married. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, couldn't do it. But... You know, a couple uh, a couple other songs that uh, you've done that I really like, because uh, we're all sports nuts here, was uh, Take Me Out to the Overpriced Ball Game. Uh, ah, and, uh, who's your team? Uh, the Minnesota Twins, actually. And oh, okay. uh, I believe, so Matthias, I believe that's your team, too, right? For baseball, yeah. For baseball. And uh, Granny is the Kansas City Royals. Okay. Yeah, there's not, there's not a whole lot of baseball in it. On the in the in the Midwest, there's some, but yeah, there's not not as many teams to pick from. So you don't have a favorite pole team then? Me? Yeah. New York Mets. The Mets. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, the Mets never beat the Twins. It's always the Yankees. So uh, I, I I like I kind of like the Mets too, especially the uh, uh, the Miracle Mets. Uh, we have uh, Carla Albrich is our guest here. We're on 89.1 Kids FM. we got about uh, seven minutes here with uh, Carla. So you mentioned that, um, you know, uh, Twang is your current uh, album, and you got one that you're working on now. What uh, is your hope uh, for release on your newest one? Time-wise? Yeah. Like in the timeline? Uh, I'm going to... I have no idea. I <laughs> hopefully in the spring. All right. That's my hope. And yeah. uh, when you uh, when you decide that uh, you're uh, you're gonna go uh, do an album, and I've never asked an artist this before, because I, I it's kind I'm kind of curious. When you uh, when you decide that you want to do another album, or when you when you plan out an album, do you do you sit down and say, okay, I need to have this many songs on it? Uh, or uh, is it that uh, the label that you're working for is saying, hey, we need you to uh, have an album out by this time? Take us through that process. Well, I'm indie, so I, I, it's all up to me. I can do it any way I want to, which is good and bad when you're ADD. It's like, uh, oh, I just thought of another song I want to put on there. Oh, I want to take this. No, I want to take that off. No, I want to put that on. Oh, I want to do a country. No, I want to do a rock. Um, so because I don't have anybody constraining me, it's like, uh, it's, I have to get somebody to rein me in, usually my producer. Um, but, uh, I, I try to wait until I have a a critical mass of more songs than I need so I can throw something out if I don't like it. So, you know, 
like if I could ideally have about 15 or 16 songs and and then if some of them just like don't go together then I can just say I'm I'm not putting that on this project I'll I'll put it on the next can, one or then you can start another album right Yeah exactly it's 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 a never ending thing there's there's always something in the can that I didn't use that I that I'm holding out for another project yeah so so now do you uh do you just like plan out like you need to do like at least ten songs or is there like a certain amount you want to do for each album now yeah i think ten is ten is usually like the standard uh, as far as like okay ten equals an album and uh you know you can do twelve or you know even thirteen or fourteen, but nobody wants to do anything in it number of 13 because that's unlucky so you know 10 or 12 equals an album you know that's a twang i only did eight because um i I was just going to do an ep of like five songs and then i was like oh but i want to put this on and oh these musicians are so good let me do this one too so it it went a little it was supposed to be an ep and it sort of expanded up apparently an ep is like five to seven songs and i was like just this one more i just have to with it just this one more you know, and the, uh, the cool thing, uh, you know the cool thing is, Carla, I, and I'm sure you're you're you know this, but there is one album that you always have in your back pocket that I'm waiting for you to release. Uh, when are we going to see a greatest hits album? Uh, <laughs> it's funny you ask that. I have, I have a, a radio promoter who I just met who's like, oh, I would have loved to have promoted Twang, and I still can do the Americana stations. Because it went out more to the folk folk stations. He has more like Americana and country, and you know this is definitely a country album. Um, but he he was like, if I do work with this album, first of all, you have to remove the song "Have You Tried Not Being a Richard," which which is a shame. But I understand you can't really play it. On I the do radio. love the song though. I, I do too. That's <laughs> so much fun recording it, and uh, the. Then he wanted me to put to include three or four of my greatest hits, so it would kind of make it a, in a way a greatest hits album, kind of. Uh, but with what, digital, um, you know, you can do, you can you can do anything with digital. Well, what would you right? say uh, if you let's say that your greatest hit, uh, hits album, uh, uh, let's say it featured uh, say twelve songs. Uh, Ten of your top hits and two new ones. What would be the top five songs that you'd put on your greatest hits album? Oh, definitely, I would put uh, "What If Your Girlfriend Was Gone." Um, that's my little psycho love triangle song. Uh, totally average woman, and um, I might put "What If Your Butt Was Gone." "What If Your Butt Was Gone" is a parody of "What If Your Girlfriend Was Gone." It's the same tune. So I wrote a parody of one of my own songs, which... Are, are you the only artist to ever do a parody of their own song? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. It seems a little strange, uh, but it was right there. It, it, it was just right there. I had to do it. Um, and what else? That's three. Um, uh, I have a song that my cousin wrote that I sing all the time that everybody thinks that I wrote, but I did not. It's called Toasted Chicken Sandwich. Um, but I couldn't put that on a greatest hits of my own because I didn't write it. Uh, I I really like Is It Hot Enough for You. 
Oh, I do love that, that too. That's uh, track number one on Twang. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that one came out really well with the with the band. The band is just so hot. I, I gave everybody a solo. I was like, just keep playing, keep playing. <laughs> you guys sound amazing. Uh, keep well, playing. We get, well, we got about the 60 seconds here with uh, Carly here. So if our fans want to check you out, you got a Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch, or TikTok. What do you got? I I got just about all of that stuff, and the hub is CarlyU.com, C-A-R-L-A-U.com, and then there's links to all those things from there. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, Carla, thank you for being on again with us, and uh, we are going to have you on again. The next time you'll be on, you'll be joining the Five Timers Club, so we're definitely going to have you get that title as well. Uh, so I'll be in contact with you. You can contact me. We'll get you on when you bring out your next album, and we'll have a blast again. Great. Now you guys send me some dirt about yourselves, and, and maybe Granny will send me some dirt about both of you, and I'll write you both songs. Sounds good. Hey, Matthias, you know on that? Oh, 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 you bet. All right. You can do a song about <laughs> Granny being too old, uh, the icon being too egotistical, and... Uh, um, me, just because I'm that good. Right, exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, Carlos, thank you for joining us. You are awesome. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, Carla Ulrich is our guest there. Uh, well, we're, uh, we got about uh, 15 seconds here before our theme song, uh, Prince. Uh, Grant, you'll be with us again next week? As far as I know. And Matthias, you'll be here again next week. As always. And then you can tell us all about your matches. Uh, until then, everybody, uh, we'll see you next week, same time, 9 p.m. Central Standard Time to 11 p.m. Central Standard Time on 89.1 Ken's FM, kensfm.com. And always, always be nice to each other, love each other. Join us next week, and we will see you all then. Commercial radio station, Ken's FM survives in large part by the generosity of listeners like you who value public radio and have become a member. Your donation continues to allow us to support local artists and musicians and play the music you want to hear, not what advertisers think we should play. It enables us to broadcast feature story news so you can hear the news, not opinions. Public Radio doesn't have an agenda. We're not in the business of pushing our point of view. Our mission is simple. Reflect your interests, not the interests of some corporation. If you believe that having an independent, non-commercial, public radio station in your community is a good idea, become a member now. Find out how by visiting our website at www.kensfm.com. And remember, independence has a cost. And it's as little as $10 a month.
Thanks for listening to 89.1 Ken's FM. We are- With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.